Hello and welcome to another episode of the Get Italian Football News podcast. I'm your host Sam Brooks and I'm joined by Raphael Jokobin, Jake Smalley and Francesco Amesbury. Thanks for joining me guys. And so first up we're going to look back at another fascinating weekend of action uh, in Syria and uh, start with the league leaders Milan who uh, beat Sassuolo 2-1 away. Uh, and this game was very significant for the fact that Rafael Liao scored the fastest ever Serie A goal, um, clocked at 6.76 seconds. Rafael, what did you make of the overall game? Um, and did you see it as a definite pre-planned move by Milan to attack up the sort of middle and then over to the left wing right at the start to keep to catch Sassuolo cold? Yeah, I thought it was a very impressive performance from Milan. To come to bounce back after those, you know, those two, those two draws in which they looked a bit off the pace. Um, that in the first half they were devastating. Um, I think we, yeah, Pioli said before, after the game that it was a pre-planned move that they were. It was one of the sort of um, kick-off situations they practiced in training. So clearly, clearly, it's one that one that came off. I think it was. Uh, I think it was after six point seven seconds or something like that. Yeah. And he, um, and he beat the. It beat the. Obviously beat the uh, Serie A record. So that was a very impressive move. Yeah. And then, but then in general, yeah, the the way the game panned out was very. I thought it was a much more cohesive performance from them than than their past two games. I think a lot more. You had a lot more players show up. In terms of putting him in a good performance. Um, especially with with Teo Hernandez, who well he's he's obviously been in good form for the past few games, but he's he's carried that over. I think Leal's shown that he is he is a better deputy for um for in Ibrahimovic's absence than than Rebic. I think Leal does a lot uh, just does a better job all round of covering that left flank, but also you know dropping inside in the middle and sort of acting as not not a focal point in the same way as Ibrahimovic, but just um, just a sort of a leader in the attack. Which yeah, so I thought that was I thought that was impressive. And another player I wanted honor to pick out actually in that game is Kalulu, who I think's done very well to step in in the because uh, obviously Milan have a lot of defensive absences. Kier is out in inj- for injury. Gabia as well. And Kalulu stepped in. Is he? He had. I think. Yeah. Against. Um, I can't remember against who it was. That he came in and he made an error early on, but he's, he's recovered from that in the, in the next few games, and he's really started to make his mark. Which obviously for me shows that they do have a bit of a, some sort of strength in depth, which. Clearly, it's gonna. Well, they're gonna need that in this in in the games to come. Yeah, I think we so with with Kalulu. Yeah, he came in in the Palmer game and uh, was slightly yeah. caught out for the opening goal. Then, and and as you mentioned, Milan came into the match on the weekend with two draws, two late equalisers they had to get actually against Palmer and Genoa. Uh, we were sort of starting to see some maybe chinks in their armour, but this put them right back on track. Does a result like that? Francesco, um, give you confidence maybe that Milan can go all the way this season. Uh, obviously, we're about a third of the way through the season now, so can they continue that all the way through to May, do you think? Um, I don't know if they can continue that all the way through the season, 
But the thing that I find most impressive about this result, um, considering that kind of one of the question marks about Milan at the moment is is their squad depth, is how they were able to win without Ibrahimovic, without Kiev, without Benasser. I mean, in the terms of the way they set up, probably or arguably their three most important players. And so the fact that they've come through a game, and it's quite a tricky fixture, Sassuolo away, Sassuolo had a great start to the season, that they were able to win without those guys uh, is definitely a big plus for them. And um, I'd say that I, I have fewer doubts about them now um, when they're able to, to pull off results like that whilst missing such, uh, such big players. Yeah, definitely. And, and we'll touch more on Milan uh, later on in the show. But I now want to go on to their nearest rivals, uh, both geographically and in the league at the moment. And that's Inter, who are, who are getting on a bit of a winning run at the moment. They beat Spezia uh, 2-1 on Sunday. Um, Jake, what, what did you make of their performance? And um, do you perhaps now see Inter as favourites to win the title, given they're only one point adrift? Um, and, and that they have no European commitments um, after Christmas? Uh, I think the fact that they have no European commitments does make a big difference. Um, I think with that schedule being lightened quite you know, massively, it does give them a chance against the likes of Juve and Milan, who are still in European competition. But uh, the thing that's impressed me the most over the last couple of weeks is the way they've sort of gone about things in the league. Um, the Champions League's obviously had a bit of a negative effect with the club. And, you know, Conte's been quite outspoken about that and we've got Ericsson Gate and things like that going on. But in terms of the league, they're finding different ways to win games. And that, for me, is really, really encouraging. And, you know, as the old cliche goes, in a way, it is the sign of champions because they were far from brilliant um, against Spezia. You know, they nearly threw the game away at the end. And against Napoli midweek, they weren't that great either. But they've come away with six points from the week. And if you win 4-0 both games, you still get six points, don't you? So, um, if they can keep this run going... You know, I probably would put them favourites given the fact they've got such a lighter schedule. But I really won't count uh, Milan out. And Juve's results at the weekend shows that, you know, we've still not quite seen the best of them. For me, that was their best performance to date. So, you know, they've got a bit more in the tank. Um, it's, it's, it's too hard to call, really. It's going to be really interesting to see. But uh, I think Conte will be happy with how they've responded from the Champions League exit. And, you know, six points out of six this week. If they can get anything at Verona, preferably a win. Um, it, it, you know, see them going to the new year looking quite positive. Yeah, they do seem to have turned a bit of a corner in the in the last uh, sort of ten days or so. So we'll have to see if they can keep that up. And of course, you mentioned Juventus there, who got a very impressive four 0 win against uh, Palmer on Saturday. Rafael, would you say that was their most convincing and, and complete performance of the season? And um, you know. Uh, something that they've struggled with this season is putting a set of results together. But do you think that that could maybe spark them into going on a bit of a winning run now? I think things have sort of fallen into place at the right time of the season for Juventus. You can you can you can tell on the pitch that Pirlo isn't necessarily the most tactically astute manager, but what he what he has got in his locker is a very good sense of man management, which probably comes from the fact that he is just a respected figure among the players who are going to listen to what he says. But I think, yeah, the, the way he's managed his squad this season is probably his, his, his best his best asset as a manager. And you, you can you can see that in the... You, well, you could tell that in the um, 
in in the Palmer game. The fact that you know Kulusevski came back in and instantly instantly scored on his return against his old club, for example. Or generally, just the way he's, he's rotated the forward line. I think. I think, generally speaking, I think I think Pirlo, in a way, is is a breath of fresh air for Juventus in the sense that he's uh, he's not as tactically rigid as someone like Sarri would have been. Uh, because looking at Juventus squad, looking at the type of club that they are, you need a sort of manager in the mould of Allegri who's gonna, you know, who's gonna change. And adapt tactically, you know, considering the opposition, and not just stick to a set game plan as um, as Sarri would have done. So, a lot of people did have their doubts on on Pirlo on his credentials, but I think I mean I wouldn't say he's he's you know he's, he's, he's silenced all doubters because clearly he does have some flaws in his in his managerial sort of game. But it's definitely a good omen for them for the season for the for the rest of the season. I think they're going to be around the top of the table. They're going to be fight. They're going to be fighting. You know, maybe not running away with it as they usually do, but definitely going to be in, t- in title winning form by in the next few months. Yeah, as we we've, we've seen uh, in recent weeks that um, Juve do seem to have been picking up a bit, but they have also dropped some sloppy points against the likes of Crotone and Benevento. Francesco, are you now starting to see signs that maybe Pirlo's got a better idea of the formation and the players that are going to take this Juve side forward? Uh, yeah, I think the I think the players are getting used to his system. Um, I think the improvement. You, you can see it over the last few weeks that players have started to get used to the to the way he wants them to play, um, and I think a big uh, contributing factor to to kind of the improvement in form over the last few weeks has also been the return of some important players like Alexandro, like De Ligt, um, even Ronaldo after his little spell out because of COVID. Um, those three players have all added to kind of the experience, and and they've really helped improve performances recently. I'm I'm still not convinced by their central midfield. Um, I think they, I think uh, Rafael is right that they probably are going to be in the mix right up until the end. And uh, I definitely think they can win it. Uh, but I think the question marks for me are about their central midfield. Um, uh, I think a lot of the signings they've made, not just this season, but last season, haven't really worked out yet. And I think that is the area of the pitch where Pedro still has some, some uncertainties about the best way to play and who should play where in, in that area. But um, but generally, yeah, they, they've improved. And I think those big players that have returned have made a big difference. Yeah, they do, they do seem to sort of finally be clicking into gear. And we saw that towards the latter end of the Champions League group stage as well. OK, moving on from Juve. And we, we had a big match for um, sides uh, around them in the league this week, uh, with, this weekend with Atalanta against Roma. Roma obviously 1-0 up at the break, but Atalanta came storming back in the second half to win 4-1. Jake, what, what did you make of this? And was this an example that Atalanta do have a bright future still, even if Papu Gomez, their captain, looks like he could be on the, his way out of the club next month? Uh, potentially. Um, it was really handy that they had Ilicic back for the game, I thought. I think he couldn't have picked a better time to uh, get himself back into the team and firing at his best form. Um, you know, he, He's just as key for me as Gomez is. So, you know, having him there will make a difference. Um, 
Pacino's come in back from his spell at Verona last year and he looks quite assured as well. Um, I, was, I was impressed with him second half. I think overall, the player that impressed me the most for Atlanta is the goalkeeper, Galini, because if it wasn't for him in the first half, I think it would definitely be more than 1 0. And it might not have been such an easy turnaround for them. Uh, and also, <laughs> I want to mention Morante for Muriel's goal. I mean, there's is getting done by a fake shot. There's that. It was absolutely woeful uh, from around say it was it was a shocker. But um yeah, uh as much as anything that I, I just find it really, really sad um what's happened with the Gomez situation. You know, he's he's the focal point of this team. Uh, he's been there upon every step of this rise so far from the lower reaches of the league to uh, the quarterfinals of the Champions League and I just think it's such a shame. It obviously looks like it's gone past the point of where it's fixable as well. They're not going to get a great amount of money for him. And the fans must be absolutely gutted as well. So, um, given the fact they've got money in the bank, you know they've got some other really strong players as well, I think they should be all right. Um, but he will be a massive, massive miss. Solely just for the fact that he's such a wonderful player to watch. I hope from a selfish point of view, he does stay in Serie A as well, because he's just such a good player to watch. Yeah, and we we saw, uh, as, as you mentioned, uh, so Ilicic... Uh, perhaps at his best performance of the season yesterday um, after having a, a tough start to this season um, and obviously personal issues at the back end of last season. Um, we've always talked about how Atalanta are a side who have a specific way of playing and that any player can sort of come in and take someone else's slot and the team doesn't drop off too much. Um, so that was quite encouraging to see that they didn't seem to miss Gomez too much yesterday. Uh, Jake, just sticking with you, it seems that Inter are perhaps the slight favourites to get Papu Gomez next month as things stand. Would you take him at Inter, given that there does seem to be a bit of baggage involved? And, and do you think he could slot into that Inter side, perhaps in a 3-4-1-2, in a way that you know Christian Eriksen hasn't? Could he be a big part of Conte's plans? I think it'd be a brilliant signing. Uh, might be a little bit of baggage, but you know, hopefully that would stay um, in Bergamo. Um, from an Inter perspective, I think it'd be a really, really good signing. Um, the only player that Conte seemed to find useful in that role so far is Stefano Sensi, and given his injury record, you can't rely on him all the time. He's only just coming back to fitness. So, and Gomez ultimately is a better player than him as well. So, if he can get a decent cut price deal, I think it'd be a really, really strong addition. You know, he brings experience as well, which is what Conte likes. So I think it'd be a really strong signing. If Ericsson was to leave and they were to get 20, 25 million for him potentially and bring in Gomez for half that is, you know, they're talking around sort of 10 million euros for him. I think that represents really good business. and He could be the shot in the arm they need to uh, produce something a bit more exciting on the pitch because, you know, at the minute it's not exactly champagne football, it's effective. But Gomez could be the sort of catalyst signing that they'd make that could really sort of set them on a really strong winning run and bump away with the league. I think it'd be a really, really good signing for Inter. Yeah, it would be quite a mouth-watering prospect to see him linking up with Lukaku and Lautaro. So, we'll have to see how that pans out. Obviously, you know, about 10 days until the transfer window opens. So, you know, that saga seems to be changing every other day at the moment. So, you, you just never know. Um, and, of course, the weekend finished uh, with Lazio beating Napoli 2-0. Um, 
Raphael, these seem to be two very inconsistent sides. You just think they're turning the corner, then they lose. And that was the same again with Napoli um, this weekend. What do you make of their season so far, these two clubs? I mean, obviously, they've both been quite inconsistent. But I would say for this particular game, you know, the, the odds were stacked against against Napoli from the get-go, really. They, have, they did have Mertens and Insigne out straight away. From a, so Insigne from a red card and Mertens from injury, and um, obviously Ossiman, Ossiman wasn't playing either. So I think you know it, 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 the result is to be taken with a pinch of salt. But at the same time, you know, all credit, all credit to Lazio when when they are when they are on form, they're they're capable of playing good football as well. Um, I think. The uh, yeah no the, the very first goal the uh, the immobile goal was very impressive, because you don't often you don't often see uh, often see Lazio getting uh, connecting connecting to crosses so when when it does happen it, it, it's impressive you know, he, he was a very good leap as well but I think yeah on, on a general on a general scale I think. Napoli have to be quite careful here that they don't repeat the same mistakes of last season. Because we've seen, we've seen. I think it was yesterday the clubs announced that they're going into um, they're going into retreat for the next few days, which which is obviously what they what they uh, what the club tried to do last year, and it caused the player revolt against um against Ancelotti, which obviously led to uh, led to a whole series of events. That led to um, led to Gattuso taking charge, but I mean generally they have to be careful when managing this sort of this sort of um, the sort of mood around the club right now. You know they've they've had some very high you know very good moments this season. They haven't been able to capitalise on on them fully, but they do need to keep you know keep focusing on the fact that they have got. Very good score at their disposal. They have got, they they have, they've they've had a very good start to the season, you know, notwithstanding all of these all of these sort of, you know, negative results. But also, you know, they have to keep they they do have to keep a bit of perspective. I think especially, you know, if if you if you take if you take out the point that they got deducted against um against uh, against Juventus. Or for for not showing up against Juventus, then they would be in the top four, which compared to last season is is a massive improvement. So, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say you know either club's really going into crisis mode or anything, but Napoli are clearly clearly the better the better team moving forward out of the two. And I think this you know this this weekend's game was just a bit of a one off because Napoli obviously had so many injuries and players out. Yeah, it will be interesting to see uh, how those sides bounce back uh, in the final game of this year and then heading into next year, see if they can start to string some positive results together. Uh, OK, I want to leave um, the weekend's action uh, behind now and we're going to move on to, because this will be the last podcast of 2020, I want to have a sort of end-of-year review. <clears throat> so, Francesco, I'm going to come to you first. Um for you so far this season in 2020 slash 21, uh, who's been the most impressive side, the, the standout team for you? 
Um, are we talking about the whole year or just this uh, season? Ju ju just this season we're going to go with. Um, I think for me, uh, the standout side based on what they've achieved uh, related to their resources is probably Benevento. Yep. Okay. Um, I think they've, you know, they are at the moment, they're eight points clear of relegation. And um, I think if you did ask me at the beginning of the season who, who would be going down, I would have had them as one of the teams. And they've had some really impressive results. Um, it doesn't seem at all like it's, they're riding a wave. There's real substance there. And um, I think Simon, uh, sorry, Philip Puntagi is doing a, a really good job. They, they look like a solid team. Um, and it feels very sustainable. Um, and like I said, they've already got this eight points cushion over the relegation zone, which is pretty impressive. And so, and if you consider as well their resources, for me, that that they've been the the team that have kind of punched above their weight the most uh, so far this season. Yeah, it seems obviously last season we saw Hellas Verona sort of just uh, just move into the top half uh, after just coming up, and it looks like Benevento could you know, perhaps aim for a mid-table finish, given how they've started this season. How about you, Jake? Who, who stood out for you so far in Syria? Yeah, I'm going to stick with Hellas Verona. Um, I mean, you've got to say Milan are the best team, definitely. And, you know, they, they've defied expectations the most. But I, I want to give a bit of a mention to Hellas Verona because in the summer they lost Kumbulla, they lost Rachmani, uh, Amrabat, three brilliant players who've you know, taken moves away and flourished to an extent in terms of Cumbler and Amrabat. Um, Rekmar has been a bit of a disappointment, but that might be a chance then to uh, exploit that and maybe getting back potentially. But uh, they, they do it continually and they've done it for years and years and years. You know, they're bringing players, give them a chance, sell them on. And at the minute, they feel like, it feels to me a little bit like they're starting to create a bit of a new era uh, under Urich. And as long as they can keep him in the... Uh, in a management hot seat, it's a really, really good chance for them to sort of push towards the Europa League spots for me. Um, I just think they're a brilliant team. They're really sort of back to the wall. They can find different ways of winning games. And they're almost a bit of a ragtag bunch, some of the players that they've got in there. But it's so, so effective. So, yeah, uh, hell out for all for me. Yeah, the way they've been able to continue their impressive form from last season into this one has been really eye-catching. I think a lot of people thought that they'd uh, fall down the table this season, but that doesn't look likely as we speak. Um, okay, so Raphael, moving on to the opposite end of the scale, who's been the biggest disappointment for you so far this season? I know a couple sort of immediately spring to mind for me, but, but how about you? I mean, the most obvious one would be Fiorentina. I think... Um... You know, relative to the signings that they made over the summer, relative to the, I guess, sort of the expectation that's been that's been around them with with the new owner talking up, talking up their club and sort of talking about their ambition, it's just been it's been a disastrous disastrous start to the season. And but it, the thing the the thing is, even if they have been a disappointment, it it was sort we sort of saw it coming, but. I don't, think, I don't think to this level, and it's just been, it, it, yeah, it's just been disappointing because they they made some very interesting signings over the summer, like Sivamrabat, for example, and Bukayehon coming in to to replace Kiesa. 
but even even those new signings have just have just been a complete disappointment. I mean, Amrabat is nowhere near his his the level that he was at with Verona, which probably says a lot about the, how much Ivan Juric gets out of his players. But I think yeah, Fiorentina have generally been a disappointment, not just not just off the pitch on the pitch, but also off the pitch generally. The the way the club's gone about gone about their business. Um, keeping a keeping a hold of Yakini was, you know, I mean, obviously hindsight is twenty twenty, but I think even at the time, people people were saying that keeping a hold of Yakini was just an uninspired an uninspired choice when they could have they could have started a rebuild with a more exciting manager. I think bringing in Prandelli to replace him, it did have a sort of you know that sort of nostalgia effect, but you know. With, with, in terms of substance, he hasn't really changed anything yet. There hasn't even been a sort of new manager bounce. It's just been the same drab football with no, no, no personality, no, no ideas. Even, even, even the likes of Ribery, who, you know, you last season was, you know, you would have expected him to to pull something out of the hat, but this season has just been, it's been sort of, sort of sucked into that black hole of. Of mediocrity, and it, I, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be surprised if they you know went all the way and just went down this season, the way they're going because I don't see any I don't see how they can they can change things. I think a lot of people had high hopes for Fiorentina after their summer spending, but but you're right it has um it has really been disappointing from them so far this season. Um, how about you, Francesco? Uh, yeah, I think Fiorentina were an obvious one. Is is there are there any other sides for you that you're quite disappointed by so far this season? I think uh, Inter's European campaign deserves a, a mention here. Uh, to to drop out of Europe completely, completely um, in a group where for the first time I think since they've been back in the Champions League, they were favourites to go through. Uh, is really disappointing, and especially if you consider that all the Italian, all the other Italian sides got through. I mean, uh, it would be nice to make it a seven out of seven, and and the fact that Inter were so poor and pretty disappointing. That's that's one of the biggest disappointments so far, I'd say. Yeah, that that is um, an excellent point. Yeah, for them to not even go into the Europa League. Obviously, they dropped into Europa League last season and made the final, and and. and could easily have won that final, but but they won't get that opportunity this season. Um, but moving back into a bit more positive, uh, Jake, who for you has been the player of the season so far? Uh, I think I'm going to have to go with Latan. Um, pretty easy choice. Um, he's been an absolute catalyst for this Milan team. Uh, they've done quite good with him being out, but he just adds a different dimension and. It's talked about over and over and over, but given his age, what he brings to that side, what he's brought since the day he stepped to the door is absolutely sensational. So for me, he's probably been the best player so far. But I'd also like to put an honourable mention in for uh, Henrik Mkhitaryan as well at uh, Roma. Seven goals, six assists so far for Roma is pretty good. He arrived with pretty little fanfare, um, pretty unsuccessful spell in the Premier League, but he seems to have found a place in Fonseca's side. I think on paper you looked at that signing and thought, you know, if Fonseca can get him fine, it'll be a good signing. So far, it's uh, definitely proved that. So, yeah, I think Mkhitaryan is an honourable mention. But for me, Zlatan's been the player of the season 
the best player so far in Syria. Yeah, in, in particular with Zlatan, that he's actually only played about half Milan's games. Uh, obviously, he had COVID and then he's had a hamstring problem and is expected to not return until 2021 now. But but when he does play, <clears throat> he has one hell of an impact. And, and yeah, as you say, with Mkhitaryan, scored a couple of absolute screamers so far this season. So really impressive from him. Uh, Raphael, uh, last one in terms of the end of year awards, if you like. Who's been your manager of the season <clears throat> so far? I think I'd go for I'd go for Ivan Juric. Uh, I mean, we've we've talked about him already, but the fact that he has been able to virtually replicate the the style of play that that he was he had last season with with all of the with all of the um, the sales that have been uh, have happened uh, at Hellas is really a testament to how good he is as a manager. Um, I mean. Uh, you know, I was saying it. I was saying it last week that you know the mark of a good manager is that the his teams play in the exact same way, no matter what the no matter what the style, no matter what the the level of the players he's working with. And you know you can see you can tell that we can tell with Verona that, that he's he's sticking to he's sticking to his guns in terms of the style of play that he wants. He's very clear about that. You know, high pressing, using the wings a lot, and it's clearly it's paid off. I mean, on the face of it, they're only ninth, but it's it. You know, it's a very, it's a very, very good result for, for this far into the season, at least compared to what you're expecting after after all those sales over the summer. And I think you know a, a lot. It's a lot of people are maybe comparing him to Gasparini a bit, which is probably an easy comparison to make because they have worked together. But I think. There is a, there is a lot of truth in that in that they are they are quite committed to uh, you know that a specific style of play which you know which they implement whatever whatever the teams they work with and it's just been it's it's not it's not obviously not as entertaining as you know a, an Atlanta side or a Sassuolo side in terms of those sort of upper mid upper mid table teams uh, that overperform. But with you know, with the resources that he has, I think Ivan Juric has done an excellent job. Yes, yeah, certainly, certainly has. Um, and of course, the other candidates for that role we've we've obviously had Pioli with Milan and Di Serbi with uh, with Sassuolo. So some excellent managerial performances so far this season. Okay, and on on to the next um, sort of section of the show, um, and I'd like to get some predictions from you guys. Um, Admittedly, it is a bit tougher this year. Normally, we'd be halfway through the season at this point. Right now, we're about a third of the way through. But, uh, Francesco, I'm going to come to you first. Uh, if you have to stick your neck out on the line, who do you think is going to win the league this year and, and which sides do you think are going to make up the top four? I think um, the league winners will be between Inter and Juve. I think if I had to choose, I'd probably go with Inter. I think... Um, I heard someone say earlier this week that Conte becomes the best manager in the world when he's got a whole week to prepare. So I think dropping out of European competition could help. Um, if you look at the work he did at Bari, if you look at what he did with Juve in the three years that he was there, if you look at what he did with Chelsea when he was there, all those times he's had a week to prepare because none of those teams were playing in Europe or they dropped out of Europe early. That makes a big difference. It seems to make a big difference to what Conte is able to do when he's preparing games. 
So I think, and I think Inter have been able to win so far playing not very well. I think they, they almost certainly will improve in terms of their performances. And so because of that, I'd have them slightly ahead of Juve. But I think it is between those two. Um, I think Napoli are going to get in the top four because I think they've got, like Rafael was saying, they've got such a strong squad. Um, it's not just the first 11. They've got almost a, a duplicate in every position, top quality player. So I would expect them to, to finish in the top four. And I, I still think Milan at the moment have got a big lead, but I, I don't expect them to finish first. And it's whether they can hold on to that lead and stay in the top four. I think they'd still have to be careful of Atalanta probably. If you look at Atalanta, the last four games, they've, they've had some really good results. They, they beat Ajax, they beat Fiorentina, they drew with Juve away, and they've, they won yesterday against Roma. And it was about this time last season that they put that amazing one together where they just carried on winning. So I expect them to... to we'll see what happens with the Gomez situation, but based on yesterday's game, they might be all right without him. But I'd expect them to kind of come back strongly now. They're, they're only a few points off the Champions League places. So... I think it's probably between, I'd expect Napoli to be there. I think it's between Milan and Atalanta for the last place. And um, and yeah, between Inter and Juve for the title. But if you ask me to pick, I'd probably go for, for Inter. Okay, great. And and how about you, Jake? Do you, do you see things differently or, or are you along the same lines as Francesco? That's pretty much exactly what I'd say. Uh, I think given the fact that Inter no European football gives them a massive advantage. Um you know, I, I, I put them as favourites to win the league. But I, I don't want to totally ignore Milan so far because I thought they'd fall away, you know, before now and they seem to be getting stronger. They have a little bit of a setback, they have injuries and they still, you know, don't look like losing games. They're still undefeated. So, yeah, there's, uh, for me, that probably is going to be the top four. I think Napoli, given that squad depth, that'll see them through. If they can get a bit more consistency and play a bit more on the front foot in a couple more sort of key games against rivals that might give them more of an edge which they didn't do at the weekend against Lazio but yeah I, th- I think Inter will win the league um, I think you look at Juve second Napoli third between Milan and uh, Atlanta for that fourth spot but um, it is worth keeping an eye on Lazio and Roma as well so it's really really hard to predict this year but that would be, uh, be my pick for the top four yeah, interesting that you, you guys are both sort of expecting Milan to fall away and perhaps even miss out on the top four. What, what about you, Raphael? Um, do you think Milan could win it or, or have you got Inter and Juve uh, fighting for the title come the end of the season? I mean, the thing is, obviously, Inter being out of Europe is, it will be an advantage to them you know, later on in the season. But you have to remember that there are still nine match days between now and the the restart of European football and the top of the table could look very different by then. Uh, bearing in mind that, you know, all the teams will be playing at, at the same the same consistency until then. So I think it's too early to say whether whether Inter would benefit from European football, from uh, missing out on European football. I think Milan the thing is to drop out of the top four Milan would need quite a bad collapse, which I don't think they have in them on the evidence of what we've seen so far. You know, the, the fact that they have been picking up points or at least picking up points with uh, with a lot of absences shows that they have got some strength and depth. That they're not just um, they're not just a one-hit wonder team, especially since 
clearly Pioli's done a good job over the whole calendar year. Not just it's not just um, you know a sort of short burst purple patch over, over the start of the season. It's clearly there's a clear consistent path that they've um, that they've undertaken, which is why I'm giving Milan more of a chance uh, going all the way. But obviously, yeah, obviously Inter and Juventus have, have sort of have the tools to to carry on in that vein. I think. Yeah, I, th- I think between now, between now and the start of European football, and the start of restart of European football around around mid February, I think that's going to be the crucial time because that's when the other teams need to really make make the most of um, well, sort of get make as get as much of a gap between them themselves and Inter before uh, before Inter do have that advantage of playing only once a week, which obviously they won't. And then to complete the top four, I think it's. I mean, it's going to be a very close race because it's. You've got what, four or five teams there just battling it out for for fourth. And they've all, all, all four, all four of them have had a, have had their, have had their purple patches this season. Have shown that they they can put together decent runs. But I think the, I think the team that can probably go go the full length is going to be Roma because they've they've they haven't been the most they haven't always been the most scintillating team and they have they have had a few thrashings but they've they have got they have got some some sort of consistency in at least in the in the starting eleven that they have which you can't necessarily say to say the same about the other teams. I think Roma have a very set Set eleven that they play with, which I mean, obviously notwithstanding injuries and, and suspensions and the like, but that 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 will really play play to their advantage as the season goes on. Yeah, I think uh, Roma have impressed quite a few people, despite as you say, heavy defeats to Napoli and then Atalanta this weekend. So, I think a lot of people are interested to see if they can indeed make the top four, if it will just be a case of settling for the Europa League, possibly. Um, and then down the other end of the table, Francesco, who, who are your three picks to get relegated? Um, I think if uh, if you'd asked me at the beginning of the season, I'd have said all of the teams that came up, but that has changed um, because of how well Benevento are doing. I think, uh, I think now, I think Sotorno will probably go down. Um, I think Genoa will go down, and um, I've also got Spezia in my bottom three. Uh, I think Torino so far have been they're they're right down there at the bottom, and uh, they have been pretty bad this season so far. But they have got Bellotti, and he's still scoring loads of goals. And I feel having someone who can get a goal for you at that end of the table is is going to make a big difference. Um, so I'm thinking that he might be able to save Torino, but it's going to be close. But I'd say probably, so my three are Crotone, Genoa and Spezia. Yeah, I think um, I think a lot of people would probably agree with you there. But, but as you say, Torino have been pretty shambolic at times this season. How about you, Jake? Do you see the same three or, or does yours slightly differ? Uh, I think Crotone, definitely. I think Crotone are going to prop up the rest for that finish bottom. Uh, I, f- I think they're pretty weak. Um, definitely the weakest of the three promoted teams that came up. So, and they've not hit the ground running at all. Just the one win. So, I think they'll definitely go down. Um, 
I think Jenner will go down as well. I think there's this is sort of the culmination of four or five years of really poor mismanagement, some poor managerial appointments, some really poor transfers. And if anything, just for that alone, they deserve to go down. Uh, they could do with pressing the reset button. So, um, yeah, depends on who to get in his manager as well. You know, Moran leaving um, after this weekend's games. I think if they could get a decent manager in, that might help. Uh, but it's hard to think of anybody who's out of work at the minute who they could really poach that you'd necessarily say do an amazing job to drag them out. Um, so I definitely Genoa and uh, Crotone for me. So it leaves that last spot and it's between Spezia and Torino for me. I think on paper you'd say Torino are a stronger side. They have got Bellotti. Um, they've got a number of players in there as well. Ring Comet experience. I quite like Mate, uh, Itzo and Kulu. There are some decent players in that Torino team, but Gianpaolo uh, just doesn't seem to be getting anything out of them. So... Maybe if he was to depart or it clicks, um, they might pull themselves away. They've got a better chance of surging up the table as Betsy have, because you know, Betsy have got so much more limited resources. Um, well, it's quite hard to call. Um, I think I'm going to go with Betsy. I think Twin will just, just climb out, though, with a team that finishes fourth bottom for me. So Crotone bottom, uh, Genoa, uh, and then Betsy for me. <clears throat> yeah, it seems so. Both of you guys are sort of focusing on three out of four sides. Uh, obviously, we also have the likes of Fiorentina and Parma down there. Do, do you think either of those could get dragged in, Raphael, or are you along the same lines that it'll probably be three of the four teams that the other two have mentioned? I think Fiorentina will will you know get dragged down in the relegation in the relegation battle, especially especially if you know Brandelli doesn't doesn't turn things around. I mean, Genoa, it really depends on how, you know, on how the new manager does because they, they've brought in, um, they've brought in Davide Ballardini as, as the replacement. He's coming for about, in for, for his, about the 48th time. <laughs> yeah. I guess, I mean, I'm looking at it now, it's the fourth time in, uh, in 10 years, which is, yeah. Yeah. And which, you know, it's just hardly a, an inspiring, inspiring appointment and yeah I mean you know it's, it's just another example of that that kind of lack of ambition and I think I think I, I had high hopes for them because they did make a lot of you know at the very start of the season I had not not high hopes but I thought they could do they could improve on their their performance from last season just on the basis of the fact that they you know they brought in so many decent level loan players from from you from Juventus especially but yeah, it just hasn't just hasn't really worked out. It's just the same same sort of level of mediocrity that we've seen in the last few seasons. And I mean, that'll actually go down. I'd, I'd I'd like to see Torino stay up because I I have got a soft spot for Gianpaolo. So my my picks to go down would be Fiorentina, Genoa, and Crotone. I think Spezia have have got it in them to to stay up. I think Italiano has done a very good job. At Keeping a mostly mostly compact team, um, you know, cr- gr- grinding out some good results. So, I, I yeah, I would put those three teams: Fiorentina, Genoa, and Crotone to go down. Fiorentina going down would be a huge story. L- looking at that squad, that would have to be one of the strongest squads ever to go down in Serie A. I think, to be honest. But uh, yeah, we'll have to see if they can pick things up uh, in the second half of the season, or if they do as you say, f- fall into that bottom three. 
Uh, okay, I just want to finish the sh uh, show with uh, looking ahead to the final match day that we have coming up on Tuesday and Wednesday. And Francesco, we've got some interesting games at the bottom and top of the table. Wh which matches stand out for you this week? Um, I think the, the biggest game, certainly on paper, is Milan-Lazio. I think that is going to be a, a real test for Milan. Uh, they, they already had some injury worries before the weekend's game. I think they might have also lost Tonali for the Lazio game. So it's going to be another test of their of their squad depth. Um, and um, there's a, a the we, we've just been talking about the relegation battle. Spezia hosting Genoa uh, on Wednesday, um, and that that is a real big game. I, I think if Spezia win, they'll go um seven points ahead of January, which is a, a big gap at this stage of the season. So I think that's a that's a big, big match. Yeah, as as you say that the Milan game is is a huge one. Uh, Milan, uh Tonali and Benasse expected to be out with injury. Kessier is suspended. So it'll be um really intriguing to see how Pioli, you know, sort of patches up that midfield against the Lazio side that obviously has Luis Alberto and Milinkovic Savic. Um how about you, Jake? Uh, yeah, Francesco mentioned a couple of really intriguing games. Any others that catch your eye? Uh, you've got Crotone Palmer as well in there. Uh, it's a sort of basement battle. Um, thinking, I hadn't thought about Palmer, to be honest with you. If, uh, I'm going to admit it. Uh, maybe both of me this season. Um, I don't see what Liveroni brings that diversity didn't. Um, I think they could get dragged into the relegation battle, so that's a key one for them. Uh, trip to a side who... You know, might be find themselves trying to claw points back on them, and Crystal will target that as a home game as being what they can potentially win. Uh, you've got Roma against Cagliari as well. Uh, see if Roma can get back on uh, on a winning run after such a disappointing result at the weekend. Um, and then you've got a really good mid-table clash: uh, Udinese and Benevento, two teams that I thought would really struggle this year and might still struggle, uh, but they're both in decent sort of runs of form at the minute. Udinese unbeaten in six couple of draws in there, uh, but a good win at Lazio as well. So, yeah, a couple of decent games there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and of course, uh, the Roma-Cagliari game sees Di Francesco going back to the club who he got to the Champions League semi-finals just two and a half years ago. So, um, yeah, fascinating clash there. OK, well, that concludes the show and uh, final show of 2020. So, thanks a lot for joining me for this uh, sort of special episode. And um, thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll catch you again in 2021. Goodbye.